Hey guys, it's Tast here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specified, the Building Materials, Coatings, and Construction Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneur, the difference makers, and the game changers in the building materials, coating, and construction industry. Today's guest is Mark Mitchell, who is a marketing pioneer in the building materials industry. Mark's work with many of the top companies in the industry has written many great articles and produced many great resources. Mark, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Toss. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. Now, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about your background? Yes, I, I started out, first of all, I started out where my father, I grew up in a little town in, in Ohio. My father was the advertising manager of a company called Cooper Tire and Rubber Company. And then he started his own ad agency. So I grew up around, if you will, advertising and marketing. And then my first job out of college was to work for my father at his small advertising agency. And the beauty of that being so small was I had to, I had to wear all the hats. I had to do writing and meeting with clients and selling and artwork and all kinds of different things. And I found out what I was good at and what I was not so good at. And I found out what I really liked. <laughs> and the two things that I found that I really, really liked was I liked business to business, working with business to business, customers who had to sell through someone in order to complete a sale. And I liked strategy. Those were the two things I found I liked and I was, I was good at. And so from there, I left my father and I went to work for a firm in the big city of Toledo, Ohio. And they were an advertising agency who only did building materials companies. And they called themselves an advertising agency. But what I really quickly learned is if you were good at, good at a good advertising agency in building materials, did very little advertising. They was more about problem solving and realizing all the different people that you have to influence in order to buy your product. And maybe advertising is not the most effective way to reach them. Wow. Is that, was that sort of a personal insight or was it something that was known in the industry? I think I was fortunate to be able to work with just an amazing man named John Strandberg. When I left my father, I learned a lot from my father. But when I went to work at this agency, this John Strandberg, the founder, and I started out as his assistant and I'm, you know, and I don't know, 24 years old and I'm his assistant. And I just literally was in every meeting with him and I learned so much about how he looked at problems and when clients would come to him and say, why won't builders do this or why won't architects do that? The questions he would ask and how he would get to the solution and how seldom it involved, well, you need to spend a lot of money buying ads or, or something like, like that. <laughs> and the importance of the salesperson's role within marketing. So I just, I learned that and then quickly, I was fortunate in that when I started out, my first client was Owens Corning and Owens Corning was in commercial products, residential products, new construction and repair, remodel, insulation, roofing, all different kinds of products. So I really got to work with all kinds of products and all kinds of markets and all kinds of customers. And Owens Corning was a client that recognized the need importance of that channel customer and how to communicate with them. And they were 
very open to, they encourage you to think with your brain instead of with their checkbook, I call it. Oh, wow. They would have big budgets, but they're like, just because we have a big budget doesn't mean the solution is to have a bigger booth at a trade show. Is that really your best idea? And so they were a challenging company to work with. And I learned a lot from them because they had such, I don't know, I'll just say high expectations and challenged you to really think for them. And they enabled me, allowed me to spend a lot of time with their salespeople and with their customers when I would do research on every project. So that, that I learned the value of not just listening to what my client told me was right about their product or how great their company was. I learned how important it was to go out and actually have a customer tell me what they think. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you touched on a little bit with something that you said that you really like, which is B2B and selling through different channels. Now, a lot of the people listening, I guess, you know, even if you're a contractor or an engineer or, you know, manufacturer, you have to deal with different channels. Now, how do you prioritize your activity? With a big company, maybe there's some resources to go after each area, but is there things that you should do, like and focusing on just one channel, or do you do you spread out your activity? How, how would you sort of think through that process? Well, I find that, that most companies are not focused enough, and they're they're not this bad. But it's almost like we sell roofs. Every building has a roof, so therefore every building is a brick. Okay, I know a couple of companies that think that way, but but not very many successful ones. It is focusing. What I like to do is to get it focused down so much that for either this type of customer or this type of building, for example, or this type of project, unquestionably, your product is the best solution, hands down. It's just that you would not use anything but this product. Then start to expand out from there. And that's how I like to look at getting focusing. And it, or you start by saying, are we going after new construction? or repair, remodel, are we going after uh, commercial or residential? Are we, do we want to sell through big boxes more than through traditional, we'll say one and two step distribution? And some of that has to do with who you are, the resources you have. If you have, you know, I was with a company yesterday, they have 160 salespeople out in the field. Okay, well, that's, that's an infantry, that's an army. Well, you can use that. If I'm competing with them, okay, if I don't have a big infantry like that, then I have to think differently. I have to outflank them, outsmart them. I have to work to make that infantry less important, less relevant. Okay. And too many companies, they, they don't step back and look at what do I have? What are my resources? We can say is a marketing budget, number of salespeople, how, how am I the market leader? And do I have a product that has a bad reputation? We had some problems in past years, or do I have a, a product that's so new, nobody wants to try it? All of those things enter into it. And I always find, Tots, that there's a place that the, no matter how well the big competitor is doing, mm-hmm. how many resources they have, they are not doing everything, not touching everything. And they leave some opportunities. Yes. In my own case, I, in 2011, I went on from that advertising agency to work for, eventually to own my own advertising agency that just did building materials. And then in 2011, I sold the advertising agency to become a consultant because I found that when you have an advertising agency, much that old story, if you're a hammer, you only see nails. So if you're an advertising agency, the only solution you see is spend more money with me. Let me do a new website for 
let me buy some ads for you. Let me do something. Pay me to do something. That's the solution. And I found that at least half the time, that's not the company's problem. (laughs) They don't need to spend more. They need to maybe spend it differently. Maybe there's another problem. It could be their customer service is hurting them and their marketing's fine. I started to become this consultant and I said, how am I going to get known? I thought about, here's this one guy, Mark Mitchell. Sure, I've, you know, my years of being in the business, I've know a lot of people, but I don't know, we'll say enough people to support a consulting business. How do I, how do I do that? And all of a sudden I looked and I realized there is no single, there's no place that if you're in building material sales and marketing, there's no place to learn how to do your job better. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can join the National Association of Home Builders and they will teach you how home builders sell homes. They won't teach you how to sell home builders. Okay. Mm-hmm. The same with architects, contractors, all of those. And I saw, wow, there's this big void. And I even went and met with the chairman of Hanley Wood and pointed this out to him, thinking, okay, they have the power, the reach and all that. And they didn't see they didn't see the benefit of them having a more educated customer. And so I thought, I'm going to be this person. So that led me to start to write, to write two books, to write now almost 500 blog posts, uh, to wow. do two seminars a year. And to, so I saw, here's this big opening, like, wow, how can I sell a home builder? You can't find articles about that. Well, I started writing them. Mm-hmm. And so from there now, I'm, very well known in the industry and it enabled me to create a successful consulting business because I saw that this here was something that wasn't being a need that wasn't being met. And so the the same thing, if I were, when I look at a building material company and they have a product, I look and say, okay, you have this product. This is your potential. These are your potential customers. These are your competitors. These are your resources. In other words, your marketing budget, number of people, things like that. Now, how do we make the best use of those, realizing the needs of the market and who your competition is, trying to identify that big open spot, that big vacuum that the competition is not filling? How can you be the best company at that? Yeah, that's definitely a very important point. Now, you mentioned sort of filling a vacuum, but you know, some of these areas, it may not be as obvious in terms of a gaping hole. Maybe if you had a technology, you could fill it in. But let's say you're, let's say you're a contractor or something. And I, I see a lot of contractor marketing, they all look the same. How would they approach narrowing their, their target and, and sort of getting in there? I mean, what, what sort of strategies do you think? Because I think one of the things that people worry about in terms of narrowing is lack of smaller opportunity. What is the minimum size of opportunity to get excited over? a narrowing effort. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head that that people they see particularly I'm going this right through this right now with a I'm working with a company in the um residential roofing market. And I was at the roofing show a couple of weeks ago and the builder show last week or week whenever I'm so mixed up where I am today, but anyway, I guess it was <laughs> a week or so ago. But I see these roofing contractors all I'm just using them as an example. It could be plumbers, it could be electricians, it could yes. be all kind any any kind of contractor. But I see them all chasing the same opportunities. So when they're chasing the same opportunities, they now have more competition 
and you and the the buyer now has more leverage or power and now it's harder to differentiate yourself and so if you are going after if you're just trying to sell replacement roofing to homeowners just putting asphalt shingles up bidding that I'm bidding against five other people well you're the really big guy that has his operation together and has his costs in line and can close deals, gets more leads, can close more of them and turn the jobs around fast is going to have the competitive advantage. A person who does a better job isn't going to necessarily have a better advantage. And I think when you're the, the smaller contractor and you step back and you take a look at that, you look and say, am I really want to try to compete with with the market leader or do I want to carve out my own little niche? And that that little niche can be surprisingly big and the little niche can be much more profitable per job. And an area where today the biggest problem a contractor has is uh, a shortage of labor. Well, why not make better use of every labor hour that you have? So if you have 15 people and you and it's hard to find another person or more people, so you can't add another crew, why not work to get more income per person? And if you're doing better jobs, you can afford to pay your people better. You're going to retain them, reduce your turnover. So you could theoretically maybe be a business that's half the gross size of the other contractor, but you're, you're actually doing much better at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something to think about that it's definitely going to be a lot less stress and you're going to have your best people working on it and have less callbacks. So definitely that's a great idea. Now you said, you know, you mentioned to hinted on traveling a lot. I think I know you, you've gone to a few trade shows and you even went to Japan. You went to the international builder show, I believe. Yes. Last week. Yeah. So you got to see what some of the most innovative companies in the world were doing firsthand. What stood out for you at that show? <laughs> well. It's funny. You say, okay, so I, <laughs> overall, I would say I went to a, a show full of some of the least innovative companies in the world, okay? <laughs> then within that, I, a couple of companies stood out because they're recognizing this, okay? But the building materials industry has, has been an industry that has just resisted change. It's stuck in the past. It is, I think, one industry that perhaps even we have lost productivity where almost every other industry has gained some degree of productivity, some of them quite a bit. Building materials, the way we design and build buildings today continues to cost upwards of 30% more than it should simply because we don't change practices. That is happening. And the speed of this happening is happening much faster. So we go back to maybe 1960s and uh, DuPont introduced Tyvek found this product called Tyvek, Gore-Tex, whatever you want to call it, Breathe. All of a sudden, somebody had this idea, we should wrap houses with this stuff. Well, <laughs> of course, builders thought, we don't need, no, why, why would you do that? Okay. And they resisted it. And I don't, it probably took Tyvek, you know, 20 years before it became a generally accepted practice to use house wrap. And then along comes uh, James Hardy with, fiber cement siding. And it maybe took them 10 years to take a major chunk of the business from vinyl siding industry. And then along comes Huber with the zip system. And it's literally, I don't know, three years maybe or less that all of a sudden you see all these houses now that have this green board on the outside of them. 
Mm-hmm. And so how fast then that thermostat become adopted? So the pace of change, it is happening. It's happening much faster than the traditional building material, whether it's contractor, manufacturer, dealer, distributor, recognizing. And so there were two things that I, two big things I took away from the show. One was a company that I came across maybe a year and a half ago called Katera. And K-A-T-E-R-R-A. And Katera is a company that to me is going to totally blow up and disrupt the building material construction industry and force us to finally deal with a tremendous amount of waste and inefficiency that's baked into the system. When When I first found out about them, I went to Phoenix and took a tour of their plant, one of their factories, and was amazed at what they were doing. And then I they had a press event on the first night of the Builder Show that I went to, and I got to hear some of their leaders give presentations, introduce some of the, tell what they have accomplished in the last year and what they're going to be doing the next year. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is scary. This is, this is so scary. You're going to force everybody to up their game, okay? And the companies that up their game are going to do really well. The companies that just keep uh, stuck in how things this how we've always done things i think are gonna really be struggling very soon so it was it really interesting to see what they are doing and then there was a comp one the one company that i thought has captured this the best or understood it and embraced it the best is a company called mytech and mytech m-i-t-e-k is owned by berkshire hathaway so warren buffett okay and their sell i believe a software that designs trust systems and they sell connectors, bent pieces of metal that hold together wood and a few other things. But, but their whole exhibit was how, wasn't about any of their products. Their whole exhibit was showing example after example of how this builder is saving $200 per home by adopting this practice. This builder is able now to build 50 more homes per year. This builder was this. This was that. It was just this builder reduced $37,000 worth of waste. It was just a compelling story about reducing waste and inefficiency. So I talked to builders and one builder said to me, you know, Mark, I sold 600 homes last year. I built and sold 600 homes. I could have sold 700, but I couldn't find the labor to build those additional 100 homes, okay? I had to tell people no. And then another builder said, you know what concerns me or really scares me about this whole factory-built, panelized, modular, Katera movement is that I sell a $600,000 home. And in my market, there's two other builders that sell homes that would, if you walked in our model homes, you would be hard-pressed to tell the difference one home from the other. We all have granite countertops, same amount of square footage, same quality of windows and so forth. And so my home cost me $550,000 to build. So does my competition. So we sell this 600, we hope to make a $50,000 profit. Well, what happens when a company like Atera comes to one of my competitors and said, let me build your homes for you and we'll charge you $500,000 to build that same home. Okay, now what am I going to do? I can't negotiate a better price on two by fours. That's not going to be the solution is to buy cheaper materials. Okay. I have to rethink how I'm doing everything. Okay. So this shortage of labor, these companies that are 
dealing with waste and inefficiency are forcing the whole industry. It's a ex- really exciting time for innovation. Mm-hmm. And the companies that are recognizing this are saying, okay, what should and could we change about how we do things? Those are the companies that are going to really thrive in the future. Yeah, definitely. I can, I can definitely see that. Now, for the companies that are resisting change, I mean, obviously, not being open to change is one of the mistakes they're making. But what, what other mistakes are they they're potentially making? I mean, you said you saw a lot of things there. So the, most of the companies I walked around, I'm not a big fan of a trade show as a way to spend your money. It's very expensive. You get two and a half or three days, and that's it. And when I look at like, wow, how you could take that amount of money and spend it more intelligently, you would get so much better results. But so many companies will say are stuck in how this is the way we've always done things. And train shows are just one example, but people will say, well, no, we have to go. And they'll say, well, what would people think if we didn't go? And I'll say, well, why are you going? Well, it's, we do it for the brand. I'm like, what? What's that? How do you measure that? At the end of this, tell me, is so success means that you decided you're happy. Okay, that's the measure, right? And so there's, first of all, just the overall approach to marketing. The second one is if there were good messages on the, the booths, which many of them were, there were not good. There were no messages. But if there were good messages, they tended to be why my door is better than the other guy's door. Yes. That's, that's okay. That, that's, that's a message. It's better than no message, right? But when I talk to builders, they're like, Mark, I'm not looking for a better door. I got a good door. So, and I'll even say that guy's door is better. But you know what? <laughs> I'm not looking for a better door. And changing for me, changing door suppliers is not as easy as changing brands of toothpaste. Okay? It's a big deal. So I, I don't have time to go do that. There's no benefit to me to have a better door in my homes. And so I've got other problems I'm doing. So I think they're not recognizing, they're not questioning overall, how am I using my sales and marketing dollars? And even maybe a trade show is good for you, but, but they don't even, let's say, start with a blank piece of paper <laughs> each year and say, should we go back to the trade show? They just do it and do things like they continue to print literature and hand out literature at trade shows, which most of it ends up in a trash can. And then when I ask them, couldn't we make this improvement to your website? Or what if we could get more people to come to your website and find you? They go, oh, we don't have the money for that. And I'm like, well, it's right here. Just how about don't print so many catalogs? And I love, that's when I leave, whenever I leave a trade show, I love going to the, when I'm at the airport, I walk around the trash cans and I'm with my camera and I take pictures of the <laughs> literature bags and literature that I find in the trash cans at the airport. Right? And, and you email them, right? You email yeah, well, them I email the them. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I say, hey, see what I, you know, look, I'm telling you. And there's, there's also two other overriding things. One is that is just the, it's hard for people in building materials to grasp the shift to online. They're still comfortable. Like, I want to buy an ad in a magazine so I can touch and feel it. Where if I do something online, maybe it's a little bit, smoke and mirror. Maybe it's up there in the somewhere, you know, in the, in the, the heavens. And I can't, I kind of know it's working, but I can't put my hand around it. I can't show this ad to my friend or my wife. So I don't know that it's for real. And so they, they resist moving online. They still think about having lots of people, field people out in the field, as opposed to maybe having better customer service and in-house selling people sitting at headquarters on the phone in today's world. 
a lot of changes they just kind of just resist. Yeah, I, I remember I watching one of your videos saying once that the contractor or something, they'd go out and they want to deal with the manufacturer after hours because they're busy out in the field all day. Right. They wanted to sort of do and, and shop in their pajamas or something. I th- all right. I that was an interesting insight. Yeah, I just had lunch with a flooring company and we were talking about the same thing where they're, they want to get more flooring contractors to like their product. I talked to them about then if they would make their website more user-friendly, that would be a great thing they could do. This was three years ago. Where was I? In Cape Cod with a really high-end window dealer contractor. And, and he was like, Mark, I'm up early in the morning. I'm out on job sites at 7.30. I'm working all day. I got to quote things. I got to hire people, fire people, deal with problems, all kinds of things. And then I hope to get home and have dinner with my family. And then he literally said, I like to get in my underwear, my bathrobe, in my lazy boy chair with my laptop, and I want to go back to work. Why? How can I go online and design a Mercedes-Benz car, okay, change the colors, change the wheels, the engine, the, the whatever, answer any question you want, but yet I can't go find out if this product's available in a walnut finish. Yeah. Or what's the shipping weight or whatever his question is. Okay. Yeah. That's really amazing because I, I just wonder because the, the hours that some of these places are open, right, are, are not the hours that they're free to do this kind of work. Because I noticed that, you know, even on social media, you see let's say roofers, they're online first thing in the morning and after dinner time, they're back on sort of uh, looking at photos and interacting. So yes, that's the hours that most of these places are, are open is when they're, when they're busy, right? They're on the job, right. getting their work done. So I'm just wondering why, why they keep their hours the same. Huh? Right, exactly. It, I mean, it's a changing world. And so the, and it's going to be interesting too, these changes like the new construction. I think we're going to see more factory built panelized modular components or whole buildings being built that way which is going to be a big challenge to the distributor and to the contractor and they may not have a job but yet i think in the repair retrofit remodel area there's going to be a great growing need for them so it's how do they kind of up their game there and be even better and do they they stay well i i'm a big fan of focusing but do they also look and say, gee, I, is, is there another service or product I could install that my customer would really value <laughs> that for me to do? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's very interesting because I think with part of focusing, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to focus just on one thing because right. sometimes I've had an experience where we were so focused in one area and, and that area got wiped out by sort of, a, I guess, the oil crash for, for us, actually. and. Okay. We were, you know, this is a really scary time for us. And so I think focus to get the attention and win, but I guess having two focus areas might be okay too sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I think sometimes the area of focus could be a product, mm-hmm. a market, but it can also be a way of doing business. Absolutely. You know, like, like we are reliable, we're fast, we're, we, if you have a tough job, you come to us. Yeah, I was at a drywall, a large drywall contractor a couple of weeks ago for a client interviewing them. And, and I could tell this drywall contractor, if they do the tough jobs, yeah, they're probably the most expensive. Yes. 
they're not out looking for a builder that's looking to do a bunch of homes cheaply. It's probably not the right contractor for you. Yes. But if, if commercially or residentially, if you, the fit and finish and drywall, or there's something really challenging about what you're trying to do, this would be the company I would want. And talking to their estimators and their project managers, I could get a sense where like architects and builders will call them and say, hey, we want to do this. How could we do that? Okay. Or we saw this in a picture or a magazine or whatever, and we want to try to you know, do that. How could we do that? Can we do that out of drywall? Wow. 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 What a great reputation to have. That's great. And I love that type of narrowing because sometimes people think it's like regionally or something, but narrowing based on a capability or category of a project is, is fantastic a way of differentiating. Yeah. That's, that's great. Now, you've been at this a long time. If you had to go back and uh, give yourself some advice, I think you had a lot of great advice when you first started, but if you had to go back and give yourself some advice, what, what would that be? Like, what would you focus on? Wow. <laughs> Todd's probably the biggest piece of advice I found would, in looking back in my life was to have more confidence in myself. That I can think back to several times when I was probably, I'm going to say, 30 years old. And I'm sitting in a meeting at a very large building material company where they are talking about a you know, multi-million dollar marketing program. And I can see, it's very clear to me exactly what they should do. But yet there's these old gray-haired white guys that are thinking differently. And I found myself going, well, they've been at this longer. There must be something they're seeing that I'm not. Okay. And so I, I shut up and listened out of respect, but also just kind of because like a year later I went, Mark, you should have opened your mouth. I mean, they were, you know, they totally didn't see what they were going down the wrong path. Right. And so that, that was, I mean, just kind of a life lesson, not like Mark Mitchell being a, a whatever building material person. That, that yeah. was a, a thing that really stuck to me. And, and it's funny, like the, I see a lot of young, like there's a young man window dealer in Denver that I just love this guy, Devin Tilly's his name, yeah. you know, yeah. and he's just this, he's just a ball of energy and confidence. And he's just changing the world of, I would not want to be competing with him. And I, if I sold a high-end window or door, I would want him to be my dealer. I know a number of people around the country like him. It's just great to see that energy. So I guess a piece of advice that I've learned, one would be to have confidence in yourself. And the second is the most important thing is like my therapist says, Mark, you know, the day you stop learning is the day you will die. And so I see a lot of people like, well, I have my MBA, so I'm done learning. I'm smart. I know things or it's amazing how many people stop learning, stop growing, stop. Yeah. And every day get up and looking to have someone prove me wrong, teach me something I didn't know. And there's so many people that that's the last thing you want is, you know, it's like, maybe I should, maybe I could be doing this smarter. Well, every time I see your content, you're always talking about someone you interviewed. I, I find that really interesting. You're always interviewing people. You're always asking questions. It's, it's just a daily habit. And I, I think yes. that's fantastic. Yes, I am extremely curious and I'm extremely curious. I just love to learn from people. And, you know, anyway, I just, I just, I just love yeah, talking to people and learning from them what's working, what's not, what challenges they're facing. Well, Mark, is there anything that I missed or something that I should have asked you? 
I think we covered that I believe right now is the most exciting time in the four years I've been in this business in terms of the willingness and openness of the customers. And when I mean customers, I mean contractors, builders, distributors, dealers to accept change and to look for change and to for better ways to do things. That, that is, that's a really exciting thing. And the other one we didn't talk about is I think we're going to see, I don't know what the future of the distributor is going to be. It's, mm. I just see more and more companies who are going to either by choice or be forced to start to sell direct. Mm-hmm. And I know a number of companies are already doing it either overtly or kind of behind the scenes, but that this whole world of online sales, I keep waiting any day to pick up the Wall Street Journal and see that Amazon bought Lowe's, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like Whole Foods. And what will that do to the world? Okay. Yeah. And so I'm seeing more big customers calling manufacturers saying, we'd like to use your product, but we're going to buy direct. And if you won't sell to us direct, then we'll keep calling competitors until we find one who will. Yeah. So I think that's going to be just a fact of life. And so what happens is what they're looking is saying, is anybody between the manufacturer and myself is adding costs? Is that a fair value for what they're doing? (laughs) Is that a fair value? Or are they just adding a markup because they can? Yeah. So if you are in the middle there, you are going to have to really up your game in terms of providing value. Yes. Okay. Well, that's great advice. Mark, thank you so much. No, I learned a my lot. Pleasure. And it was, my pleasure. It was a ton of fun. So yes, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. And thank you so much for listening. If you know anyone that would benefit from Mark's wisdom today, please pass it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions on how to make things better. And we'll talk again soon. Bye for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.